place or you want to make sure everybody on your road has got one, no, ask me for them. I will get you more cards. Oh, Alpha. <laughs> and we are in Ezra 2. And um, Ezra 2, Barney kicked us off last week. So we're in a series in Ezra. And uh, oh, it says presents and promise. That's fancy. Ooh, it's quite fancy, isn't it? Quite like it. And um, we, we started last week. And there's something, there's real value in going through um, books of the Bible in their entirety. So we start at chapter 1. Today we're in chapter 2. I read chapter 2 and my heart sank. Um, because chapter 2 is a list of 123 names. But I'll come on to that in a moment. Um, Barney introduced us to this book last week, and we learnt that it was a book of history. So it's a, a story of God's people. It's a story of them. They've been living in exile in Babylon, and Cyrus, the new king of Persia, um, in order to, well, it could have been a political move on his part to win some influence and some friends, or, as we understood last week, to fulfill uh, what Jer Jeremiah spoke about the fact that actually that God would rebuild the temple. And so he, um, Cyrus, the king of Persia, he made a proclamation that those that wanted to go back from the people that had been brought out into exile into Babylon, they could go back to Jerusalem and Judah, and they were allowed to rebuild the temple. And those that didn't want to go back, they needed to put a free will offering in. It was quite a clear instruction. Um, but we also found out last week that this was complex. It was difficult. These people, the people of God, had been living in Babylon for some 70 years. Now, in 70 years, that will mean that actually that we're probably onto second or third generation people, which means that some of those people who are second generation or third generation have got no idea what Jerusalem or Judah are like. They've, got, they've probably got no desire to go back. And actually, the people of God, they did what Jeremiah said, because in Jeremiah, we read this, God tells them to go into exile, to build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper." So the people of God have been faithful, and they have gone and done that. They've built themselves lives. And so why would they necessarily want to go back to something that apparently is lying in ruins? But some of them did. Uh, there must have been something of God that stirred in them. Maybe there's some first generation who can remember it and they want to go back. Maybe some of the second or third generation are like, they've heard the stories, they've been told the stories. There's something of God that stirred in them that's like, I, I want to respond to this. I want to go back. I want to help with the rebuilding of the temple. So then we come to Ezra 2. So Ezra 1's kind of cool because it sets the scene, you get the story, and then Ezra 2. Now, because of time, I actually was going to read it all out to you, all 123 names. I want you to know that had I read out all 123 names, that my Hebrew is on point, and all of the names would have been perfectly pronounced. 
Just letting you know now. So if anybody asks, yeah, Jazz, she knocks out those Hebrew names. But what I will read is um, just the first, I'll read verses one and two, and then I'll jump to the end. So first starting in verse one, it says these. Now, these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reli, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpah, Bigvi, Reham, and Banar. Told you, it was on point, wasn't it? And, um, and then you basically get a list of names of all of the people. So if you've got your Bibles, you can have a look. You might even see it on the screen. Look, here you go. Look, we're going to scroll through the list of names and you can see the numbers of people. So not only were the heads of households named, but also the number of people that came in their household as well. So there were the men of Israel. There were the priests. There were the Levites. There were the musicians, the gatekeepers of the temple, the temple servants. Then there were the descendants of the servants of Solomon. And then we get to verse 59, and it says this. The following came up from the towns of Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Kerub, Adon, and Immer. But they could not show that their families were descended from Israel, the descendants of Delilah, Tobiah, and Nakoda. And from among the priests, the descendants of Habiah, Hakoz, Barzillai, a man who had married the daughter of Barzillai the Glidiite, and was called by that name. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them. And so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there was a priest ministering with the Urim and the Thummim. So, and the whole company that came, there was 42,360, and then we get the numbers of male and female slaves, we get the number of female and male singers, and the horses and the mules and the camels and the donkeys. This is a really specific record. And um, they're all incredible Hebrew names. What we've got is we've got a list it's a genealogy. It's a list of people, of people of you know who was what, where they came from, what they did, what they had. It was a proper record. And if you descended from Abraham, and that was the key, that was the important thing, then you made the cut. You made the list. Interestingly, the person whose name is missing is Ezra. The book is named after Ezra. Um, but Ezra was a priest, a scribe, so he wrote the book and a great leader. And his name means help. And actually, he lived up to his name's meaning all of his life as he built his life serving God and his people. But we're going to discover more about Ezra as we go through the book. But what do we learn about a list of names? And, um, and you can understand why when I looked at it, I'm like, what am I going to say from this? This is the first thing that I got from that, was God's incredible care for his people, that he was so bothered about individuals that he would write, he would have their names written in this record. And it isn't just about 42,000 people, because to be fair, Ezra could have said, and 42,000 people came with me. He just specifically named every single one of them. 
It shows that individuals matter to God. And it also shows this, that Jewish people are really tenacious in their memory. The people of God here remembered places and they remember relationships and they aren't going to be robbed of their past and nor are they going to be robbed of their future. I'm always super impressed that anybody that can recall their lineage, their genealogy. Um, so I was reflecting on my own story. I don't even have a birth certificate. Like I was born in this village in India, which is not even on a map. I mean, it just doesn't exist almost. And so when I was born, uh, I came over my mum's passport because you could add your child to your mum's passport in those days. Maybe you still can. And, um, and then when I was applying for British citizenship, um, the only record that we could get that could help me in my case was getting the local Sikh temple in the village where I was born to write a letter to say I was born. The letter doesn't say who my parents are. The letter doesn't say what date I was born or when I was born. It doesn't say whom I belonged to. Like there was nothing, no reference to anything other than she was born. <laughs> That's what it says. And I'm pretty much certain that you could look at me and tell me that I was born once. And um, so, but anyway, that, that letter is enough. That letter was enough to be able to get my British passport. I really don't know how it works, but there you go. Someone, someone approved it, and I'm here to tell the tale. But the other thing is that having left India and being raised here, what I missed out on was being raised with my wider family. So I have more cousins than I know what to do with. My mum is one of 12. My dad was one of I don't know how many people. It just, it just goes on and on and on. And then not only do I have countless cousins, all of the cousins are now married and they've all got kids. And literally, I wake up in the mornings, because obviously India is five hours ahead. I go on my Facebook and like there's another child being born. It's pretty much a standard thing. I don't even know who these people are, but somehow I'm related to them. But I don't have, because I didn't spend enough time in India growing up with my family, I don't have like a history in my head. The only things that I have are the things that my mum's told me. And now because she's died, I don't have that anymore either. And so I live with just the limited amount. So I'm always super impressed. Tin, on the other hand, my husband, like somebody did their family tree and it just went back generations and generations and generations because the records were kept more appropriately here than they ever were in India. But when we read a list like this, it should remind us about the genealogies that we read in the New Testament, in Matthew and in Luke. And you find the genealogy of Jesus. And in that genealogy, it includes all manner of people. Because I've said that this particular list included the Jewish people, the, the people of God, the people that descended from Abraham. But the list in, in, in Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus, actually include people that aren't Jewish. They include the Gentiles. And the whole point of us knowing that is that Jesus is for everybody. Jesus turned everything upside down to ensure that everybody was included. This event that happened that the king of Persia decreed isn't just a political event. It's a sign that Israel's relationship with God is being restored. 
Remember, we know that Abraham was told there was a promise made that his descendants would live in Israel and grow into a nation whose population couldn't be counted. But this is another story of exile and a return. But the return ultimately is met with some unmet expectations. It's, sorry, is about unmet ex- expectations. Unlike the thousands and thousands of people that returned with Moses, only a few thousand returned with Ezra. And we know that some of them had some questionable status. But there is something beautiful in this. Uh, in the person of Zerubbabel, 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 I always want to say Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. Um, There's a redemptive promise. He's not listed just in this particular list. He's also listed in the genealogies uh, that you find in Matthew and Luke. There is hope in the person of Zerubbabel, whose family tree had remained strong. It's quite complicated, but he is a a descendant of both Abraham and King David. And God had promised that one of David's sons would reign next to the temple forever. So if anyone was able to help with the restoration of Israel, it would be Zerubbabel. And the hope that that infers within him leads him and his people to offer sacrifices and lay a new foundation for God's temple. And next week, we'll find out how the building goes and what that means. But spoiler alert, it doesn't turn out how they imagined it would be. But back to this week. Ultimately, God has preserved the line of David uh, in order that the birth of Jesus will be fulfilled as Scripture says it would be. But why is it important to have those names? It must be. Because Ezra wouldn't bother scribing them out. There's another list that's very similar in Nehemiah. Why are these names written? I think one of the reasons is that actually it glorifies God. These names, the people of God are being listed. And Ezra is doing his utmost to glorify God. He's saying to everybody, God is doing what he said he's going to do with these people. The people of God, the people that God has chosen, God's promises will be fulfilled. And as I said, at the end of this passage, read about those whose status is a bit questionable. They didn't make the list. They wanted to be on it. There was something on them that thought, I want to identify with these people. I want to be included. I want to be part of them. And so they've they've come. But somehow their status didn't seem to be quite right. They didn't quite belong. And actually they had to wait until the priests came with the umim and the thumim. And that some these are devices that kind of reveal the will of God and whether these people actually uh, are descended from Abraham or not. But there was something about them that wanted to be included. I love being on a list. If there's a party, I want to be on the invite list. And if I'm not on the invite list, I get a little bit upset. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why haven't they asked me? I want to be at that party. And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're not wired that way. But, you know, I love to be on a list. But sometimes I think that people don't want to be on a list. And they're like, I don't want to be included. I don't want to be in that WhatsApp group. And there's, or I don't want to be invited to that thing. Or I don't want to be part of it, whatever that may be. And I wonder why. Is it fear? Is there some level of fear that says, I want, I'm not going to? Or is it a fear of rejection? I'm, you know, if I get involved, will they reject me? Will they like me? Maybe it's just we're afraid of trying something new. Maybe it's some sort of barrier that stops us from joining in or being part of something. 
I mean, even Alpha is a great example. Like, we have really labored the point that we'd really love every single person to be part of it. Please don't discount yourself from joining in. At the end of the day, after all is said and done, there's only one list that counts. And it's the one about the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. It's the one where our names are recorded, those that have said yes to Jesus, those that know that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, know that Jesus is the one who made everything right for them. That's the list that counts. And for many of us in this room, we know that we seek to love and serve Jesus, that our future is secure, that our hope is secure, because we trust in the promises that God has made in the same way that the people here trusted in the promises of God. We know the story of God in the Old Testament, the people of God, that it's, it's, it's complex. They go up and down and round and round. Sometimes they're in favor. Sometimes they feel like they're out of favor. Sometimes they're not sure what's going on. It's, it's, it is complex. But we also know that every promise God made them and every promise was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The people of God had to hold on to what he said, despite their circumstances, despite exile, despite it not working out how they anticipated. After all, no one expected that Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, was going to come into, into the world as a baby born you know, in questionable circumstances with a bit of dodgy parentage, parentage going on. You know, maybe he might be born as a, a prince in a palace with wealth and status, but not a baby to be a son of a carpenter. I mean, effectively, nobody, nobody expected that. As a child of God, if you know Jesus and love Jesus, you belong to him. Don't let anybody tell you any different. And if you are not sure, if you are not confident this morning that my name is written in the book of life, if you are not sure that you are going to make the cut in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that's going to help you understand that and help you have that assurance. But for others of you, I know that many of you here sit here and go, I love Jesus. I want to worship him. But sometimes life does get complex. Sometimes life does get difficult. Sometimes my sons will say, mum, we just can't catch a wave. And what they basically mean is it's like it's one thing, then it's another thing, then it's another thing, and then it's another thing. And in those moments, what happens is we opt out. We don't step in. It's in those moments that oh, I'm not going to make it to church this morning. Obviously, you've all come, so, you know, gold star to all of you. But in those moments, that's like, oh, yeah, I don't need to read my Bible. Oh, I don't need to worship Jesus. Oh, I don't need to meet up with my small group. I don't need to meet up with my Christian friends because there's all this stuff going on. But it's in those moments when that stuff is going on, that's where you've got to choose to step in. That's where you have to lean in and enjoy your, your brothers and sisters and be with them and share your life. That's not the point to hide it and go, oh, no, I don't want to tell anybody I've got some problems. That's the point where I want to be able to say, I want to pray with you. We all want to do that for one another. We want to be able to one another. 
But more importantly, when we do that, we point people to Jesus. He's the perfecter, the author of our faith, and he is our perfect peace. I want to just pray just now. That's how we're going to end in just a few moments. But if you are not sure, if you are not sure that you've ever said yes to Jesus, but you would like to this morning, then you can echo this heart in your this prayer in your heart. You can say, I want to step in. I want to lean in. I want to know this Jesus. I don't want to do this on my own. I want to catch a wave. I want to catch it with Jesus. The stuff doesn't change, but your perspective does. So can I just invite you to close your eyes? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that all of it is good. Thank you that all of it teaches something more about you. I thank you that every name, for every name that was listed, but I thank you for every name that is in your book of life. And I want to pray for everybody here. Father, for anyone that is struggling with life at the moment, that, Father, this would be a moment that they'd be able to lean in, to lean in on you, to be able to lean on their brothers and sisters, to find you in the crazy. But, Father, I also want to pray for anyone that has never said yes to you or not even sure that they've said yes to you, that you would just now come by your Spirit He'd minister powerfully. And if you would like to say yes to Jesus, just simply say, I step in. Today, I step in. And the promise is that when you step in, Jesus is with you already. Stepping in is just the very beginning of a journey. Stepping in is saying, I want to find out more. I want to know more. But just say it. Jesus, today I step in. And Father, I pray for anybody that's, that said that for the first time today, or maybe for the first time after a very long time, that you would now come and fill them with your Holy Spirit. Father, that you'd give them courage, that you'd let your peace flow, and that lives would be transformed. Amen. If you said that for the first time today, and you want to start a journey with Jesus, would you just come and find me afterwards in the break? We're having a break in a few moments. Um, or come, or just tell the person that you came with. If you've come with a visitor, come, sorry, you've come with a friend, let them know. Just say, I said that. I don't know what it means, but I said it. I want to give this a go.